This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is sponsored by the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists. For more about UBCP Actra, visit ubcp.com. That's ubcp.com. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I am your host, Sabrina Ferminger, and today I am delighted to welcome Jacqueline Samuda to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm sorry, I don't know why I started yelling, but I guess you've been on my <laughs> list for a really long time. I am so excited because Jacqueline Samuda is many things, actor, screenwriter, theater artist, teacher, award winner, storyteller, cat lover. Her lengthy list of acting credits includes Arrow, Supernatural, The L Word, and Ties That Bind, and the pivotal role of Nearty on Stargate SG-1. And even though it's been a few years since she last donned those impressive Nearty threads, and seriously, Nearty had the best costumes of all Stargate characters, Jacqueline is still regularly called upon to discuss her time as Nearty at Stargate conventions all around the world. So today, I want to talk about Nearty, and I also want to talk about the multitude of other pursuits and interests and passions that define Jacqueline Samuda, including storytelling and teaching and cats. We'll also play a rousing round of favorite things, and maybe we'll spend some time talking about life right now, because life right now in 2020, is interesting indeed. Jacqueline Samuda, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here, Sabrina. Thanks for inviting me. You know, I've wanted to get you into the studio for a long time. I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to reopen my studio, uh, which is my way of segueing into the first question of these interesting times. How are you? How are you doing? Actually doing well and weirdly busy and getting busier and busier. It's it's kind of a surprise after a very big lull right at the beginning of lockdown. And then suddenly with, you know, home studios and just kind of getting back in the swing of things, I'm actually busier than normal. And I mean, I know that you probably signed a bunch of NDAs and can't tell us about specific things, but what kind of work in general terms are you doing from home? It's 99% voice work. Mm. So commercial voiceovers and also audiobooks. Oh, wow. Which is kind of, I've done a little bit of audiobook work in the past just with accents and contributing characters' voices that were very specific. And uh, so I'm about to do my first full length novel and Thank goodness I really love this book. That but is, I will wait to. That is good that you it. do. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so good. I've, I've talked to friends who do audiobooks, and sometimes it's a bit of a chore. Yeah. But I'm really excited to be doing this one next week to start. You know what I find really interesting about the last few months, and I, I don't know, people might be listening to this years in the future when COVID-19 is long behind us, but we are still in, I mean, pretty much we are in the throes of a pandemic that has really changed how we interact with each other and also how we interact with content. Uh, And I've been finding it really heartening um, in the midst of all the sadness to see the value that people are placing on entertainment, you know, on podcasts, on audiobooks, and on screen content that was created long before the pandemic. Like, are you, are you finding it as hopeful and heartening as I am? The fact that there's so much love for art, for the work we do? Yes. And I actually love the fact that every time there's some kind of uh, press thing that mentions, you know, we've got to just concentrate on essential workers. And then some people contributing the fact that, well, you know, if we didn't have the art to entertain, distract, and encourage us in yeah. times like this, you know, it would be really, really challenging. I mean, imagine we'd all have to take a needlepoint again. I don't know what we would do. No, but yeah, I, I, I can't. Very- I can't do needlepoint. I would just be the one who pricks her fingers and goes all into the all into the threats. Okay, so what have you been consuming? What content have you been consuming during during the core, as I call the quarantine times? Well, on Netflix, there's been a couple of things. I, I was so sad when I finished the, the recent thing of succession. Mm. But um, I really enjoy um, the, what is it called? The, the littlest big farm or the, the, uh, the littlest big farm I don't know Such that one. Is that a amazing, documentary series? Yeah, this this is an actual like documentary film about this absolutely lovely uh, farm that becomes very self-sufficient. And just one of those moments where you just think, what an idyllic life to, to have out in the country with people you love, doing something important and just getting into real balance with nature. And, um, you know, I'm watching more kind of factual stuff um, yeah. and reality stuff. Like, I love Grand Designs, which is uh, a I know show Grand in Designs from the UK. Do oh, you? the, the Australia. Well, I know the UK one because yes. my grandfather-in-law actually helped build a house that was featured on Grand Designs in the UK. Really? Are yeah. you serious? I well, I would have seen it because I've seen all of them. How it exciting. was. It was. Uh, Okay, this is like a really deep cut for UK listeners. There's there's a part of England where they have these like really old um, fortified towers along the water. I think they're from Napoleonic times, where like you would they would people would live in these structures and they would look to see if if France was coming to invade. Uh, oh and God. they have, and you know, I mean, and they were built to last, they're made from stone, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there, there are just a lot of them that are just sitting there. And so they are, uh, so the project that he was involved in, this must be like a decade ago was mm-hmm. refurbishing, you know, one of these, I think they're called like Morello towers or something. Yes. Martello well, I'm, towers. I'm Googling. Yeah. yeah okay. It's a Martello <laughs> tower. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I'm sure I've seen it. I I love the whole series and I've just climbed through the whole thing. And then, you know, Chef's Table is one of these gorgeous shows featuring world-renowned chefs and just so cool. Mm. And then for 
for more kind of narrative stuff, I'm enjoying Afterlife and I'm going back to Homeland because I, I let that go. Oh, I haven't yeah. started Snowpiercer, but I'm dying to. Yeah. So, yeah. Locally shot Snowpiercer. Yes. Okay. So we, we got the talk about the core out of the way. We talked about mm-hmm. the content. Let's get into all... Oh, I just got to take a moment because I, when I'm in the studio, I'm like, okay, let's get into the way back machine and go back in time. But uh, I can't even pretend that there's a way back machine because we're yeah. separated right now by Skype. So really, it's an imagination way back machine. Okay. And um, I want to go back in time to let's go back to nine because my daughter's nine and I feel like nine is a really you have it's a very pure age you know you have a good sense of who you are and what you like and you're dreaming about what you want to do so let's go back first of all where are we going at at the age of nine Mm -hmm. in my life okay so we were still living in California I I was born in uh, Ottawa but then I moved to Vancouver when I was very young at the age of uh, five, my family moved to California. When so my dad by was then, by the time you're nine, you had already moved quite a bit. Okay. Moved quite a bit. And that trend continued. So after living in uh, California in the in the kind of Stanford area, San Francisco type area, yeah. um, at nine, we were moving to New Jersey because then my dad was going to be working at, at Princeton and in New York oh. at Columbia. So um, it was kind of, uh, I've had this, this theme throughout my life of being half in Canada, half in the U.S., and sort of on both sides of the country, although Toronto doesn't count as Eastern Canada, but it was further east anyway. Yeah. And so, yeah, at nine, it was moving to New Jersey, which was a very pivotal, and I just remember that whole series of four years very powerfully. Um, and I'm very glad that I had that experience. And by the time I had spent a few years in New Jersey, I felt like I was an American. So when I heard we were moving back to Canada when I was 14, I was like, what? Yeah. A place that has polar bears? Like I was so classically (laughs) (laughs) naive about it. That's hilarious. And despite your Ottawa roots where they do walk to school in three feet of snow, three miles each way. Um, I love the fact, and I think you had told me about this before, but the fact that your your dad was an academic and you're mm-hmm. growing up not just moving around, but also surrounded by like really smart people, like a lot it's of It's true and, and, and really good education because we were always in a university town. So yeah. it was it was great. And that actually made it easier for me once we moved to Canada to kind of get out of school early because I was just dying to start my life as an adult so it was great to get out of high school at 17 because you had to do grade 13 there oh OAC uh, I remember I did OAC as well oh yeah I I I spent my high school years in Ontario and I I graduated OAC um but what did you want to be when you grew up back especially when you were nine that pure age always an actor always from the time I was three always an actor. And it only, there was a bit of a consideration of law when I was in, when I was in uh, high school. Yeah. But I thought, you know what, I'm getting out of school young and I could try to start a career as an actor. And if I didn't succeed, I could go back to school and do something else. Yeah. So I thought, why not just pursue what feels right and almost like mandated like I just never was confused about it that's really always what I wanted to do 
Yeah. Now, you might know what you wanted to do and had a good idea, but what did, what did your, your at academic parent who's in the <laughs> university system you know, think right. about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, yeah. He definitely wanted me to be, you know, a doctor. A lawyer would have been acceptable. Yeah. And, you know, and he felt like I, I, I was an academic, too, and I did well academically. So he he just thought it was the strangest thing. And even later when he approved of my kind of growing career and so on, he he did say, what would you have said if I said, no, you're not allowed to go? Because I, I conceded and said, I'll go to university for acting. So I'm getting the equivalent of a B.A. at least with a B.F.A. at York. And he said, what would you have done if I had said, no, you, you can't go to theater school? And I said, well, you really wouldn't have had a choice. Yeah. So anyway, he, he always felt like he was very generous about it, which I, I found kind of cute, actually. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dad. <laughs> yeah, cute exactly. you are. You think you had a say? Um, what about so, you know, through all the growing up and and everything, where, what role can now I'm asking this because of Stargate and Nearty mm-hmm. and how huge this was going to become mm-hmm. in your life. What role did sci-fi play? Like, did you have any interest in the genre at all? Like, how did it touch you or imprint on you? Yeah, you know, really, I, I wasn't a sci-fi watcher like my sister <gasps> and brother. I know, isn't it's like sacrilege. It's so crazy. I don't, I don't know if you can be on the were... podcast anymore. <laughs> Bye, Jacqueline. <laughs> but things have changed. Things have changed. This was early days when I was a kid. And my, yeah. my brother and sister were watching Star Trek and really into it. And it just wasn't for me. But I loved science and I loved metaphysics and quantum physics and, you know, that kind of thing. So I was always reading sciencey stuff mm. and finding it very interesting, that intersection between spirit and science, spirit and the material world. So that you know, was kind of important. And actually, my favorite thing to write is sci-fi, even though I haven't been writing much recently. Mm. So it's it's kind of a strange thing how my mind likes to observe the world through that lens. And I, I love to absorb all the stuff that goes into making sci-fi. But as a kid, and a young adult, I wasn't watching it particularly like I wasn't, you know, reading Dune with the same kind of fervor that my brother had, you know, although I loved reading it, I just wasn't like, wow, this is everything. But, um, but now, honestly, I, I love sci-fi. I mean, like, especially shows like Dark Mirror that really look at, you know, this world with this sort of fractured future skewed view. I find that's just absolutely gripping. Yeah. Maybe they just weren't making the content that was right for you back then, you know, maybe. Um, I'm just trying to find an excuse because we are a big sci-fi podcast. Honestly, well, you can like yeah. whatever you want to like. Um, yes, I, but now I'm a fan, right? I love Stargate. <laughs> I love Battlestar Galactica. Like these are awesome shows, right? They're just yeah. fantastic. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about getting what you want. You know, you you knew from you were three years old that you wanted to be an actor. Um once you started, you know, studying in earnest and then entered the industry, like what, like how quickly did you feel successful? And by successful, I mean, um, 
rewarded or uh, fully engaged or or I don't know vindicated for choosing the path that mm-hmm. you that you had wanted you know like was did it come quickly did it ever come yeah I mean there were there were moments where you just feel like this is wonderful this yeah. is perfect and for me graduating university and immediately apprenticing at the Shaw Festival was Oof. really pivotal it wow. was such a great foundation. I just was so excited and gratified and, you know, and it did feel like, okay, I've gotten some approval from people that are very important to me that I admire. So that was, that was just awesome. And you wanted to be a, was your goal at that point to be a theater actor or did you have your sights set on film and television as well? Well, I think everything, but my foundation has always been theater. I mean, actually, Mm. I started in musical theater, even though I'm not, uh, you know, and I've sung leads, but I'm not the most confident singer and Mm. most seriously trained singer. So I theater was really where it was at when I was starting out. But I knew that I was I was really interested in doing in doing screen. And so it was it was kind of exciting to to start off and do these kooky little independent projects and then pretty quickly um, being cast by Adam McGoyan was was great because then of course that was another kind of stamp of approval because he was a pivotal master of Canadian cinema so that was a great way to start and I did uh, did two of his films um, speaking parts and then and then the adjuster and that was awesome mm-hmm. I love um, I love how often his name comes up. Uh, in interviews with people I really admire, yours and also Gabrielle Rose, you know, about like, like just, you know, his ability to recognize emerging talent uh, and then yank him up to the next level. You know, I, I love that. He was one of those auteurs that really loved to create a company. And so people could work in such comfort and ease because you kind of get that unspoken language and, it was a very mellow, cool set where everybody was happy all the time. Yeah. Like everyone was so glad to be there. So that was that was really cool. Yeah. 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 I love hearing that. Okay. Um I, I don't want things to get dark, although if they have to, they have to. But what would you say are some of the challenges that you faced in your career? And how have you overcome them? Have you overcome them? Are you overcoming them? These are the big questions. (laughs) That's right. Because in fact, there are moments and I'm sure everybody has those times in their life where they think if I had turned left instead of right, or if I had had someone's hand on my shoulder to guide me and suggest a different option, things would have happened that seemed wonderful that I missed, you know, opportunities that I missed. I mean, speaking of Adam McGoyne, when I moved to L.A., because I was on a flight and the timing was wrong, a part that he was talking to me about, a very important role in a, in a feature that did very well, ended up going to somebody else. And, uh, and so that was one of those that I don't think I stopped kicking myself for. I should have, you know, it was one of those I should have gotten back to him before I got on the plane, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't. So, but at the same time, when you're happy with at least a good portion of your life, you can't really look back with regret because you would have ended up in a totally different place. Yeah. So I'm actually, ultimately, I'm glad that I moved back to Canada from L.A. I'm glad that I 
this was the one city where I, I found balance. And, you know, so maybe my career would have been bigger and so on and so forth, but I wouldn't trade where I am. So I can't really, but it is, it is still one of those moments where I just totally kick myself, you know? Yeah. Hey, and no then, kicking yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then um, I'm still recovering and it's, it's almost one of those things where I'm embarrassed that I'm still affected, but... I had a feature film that I was supposed to make and it was very close and a lot of money had gone into it and a lot of development money and a lot of time. And then ultimately it was kind of derailed at the very last minute. And it put such a, like I I was bitter because I was so sure that it was going to be happening imminently. Mm. And I would have needed to really get all my engines going to kind of pick it up out of the flames and and push it through. But I just had basically two babies in a row and life was very intense. And and so I couldn't, I just couldn't uh, carry that yoke and, you know, muscle it through. I needed all the support that it had had that just dropped at the very last minute. So that's another one. And that's, uh, that's when I realized that at that time when my boys were young, they're 14 and 15 now, and I, I was doing so much writing and I finally realized, well, if this feature that had massive support didn't go forward, I don't have confidence in this industry right here in this city or in this country. So I'm going to put it aside for now. And my kids, frankly, are taking the creative energy that I need to put out in the world right now anyway. Yeah. So I kind of let that sit. And it's only recently that I'm, I'm ready, I feel, to, to go back and, and be the creative force as opposed to the person who answers the call and then shows up and gets told, you know, you're going to say these lines and you're going to move over here. And for, for this last long period, that's been absolutely ideal for me. I'd hmm. love to go to show up on set and bring something to life for other people. Hmm. And I'm, I am hoping though, to return to that place where I've been a lot of my career, where I'm the engine and I say, okay, here's a project I'm interested in doing, and I'm going to get my shoulder behind it, you know, and off we go. So I yeah. feel like I'm getting there again. How will you know? Like, is that a, is that a question of feeling it in your gut? Um, and then trusting that moment? Like, how will you know when it's the project that requires you to, you know, really rev that engine? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I, I just, I've, I've found that the ideas are starting to come back and I'm kind of interested in looking back at some of my projects that I just sort of put aside and some of them sci-fi actually. (laughs) And it just feels Mm -hmm. like, now, I mean, before, when I really was starting to, when I graduated university and I was, I started a theater company because I never wanted to be the actor who waited for the phone to ring. I thought it's part of how I breathe is to express and communicate and commune. So if I'm not being hired as an actor right this minute, I'm going to hire myself as a writer or a director or an actor, and I'm going to keep that, that engine, that blood moving so that I'm always ready and I'm always busy. And so I think really part of the reason I haven't felt urgency to do it is because I've been quite busy anyway. So Mm. I haven't had those moments of quiet where you just think, okay, what's next for me? Yeah. Um, It has to be actually 
in, in the way my life is now, it has to be a, a decision. It's not like there's this long, quiet period where I reflect and, you know, and something comes to me. Now I have to say, I'm going to make that quiet happen so that I can exercise that other side of my, of my creative life. Ooh, I just got chills. I love oh. that. Um, and I guess that, that like, I was going to ask you about, um, you know, acting versus storytelling, acting versus writing, like how one informs the other. But I feel like you've, you've kind of act, answered that in a sense, you know, in talking about energy, because it does sound like they're all you, they, mm-hmm. and they both inform the other, because when you're, you're doing one, it's feeding the other and you're, you're not necessarily feeling the absence of the other. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and art, when it's happening, you know, the way we all hope and want it to, it, it, it kind of, the whole thing becomes a unit, like all of the creative voices and all of the technical input becomes one entity. So, you know, it's the divisions are kind of artificial. I yeah. mean, now, of course, that doesn't mean that we don't sometimes do shows or whatever that, that aren't you know, art, you know, they're kind of, art. Yes. you know, <laughs> but there's room for all of it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do want to spend some time now talking about near um, okay. because there's so much there to talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I loved learning about you was that this was your first time on a Vancouver set. And I find that staggering that Stargate was your was your first time on a set here uh, because it's it's such a legacy project and it was such a well-oiled machine so I guess let's start with talking about the joy of playing a character like Nearty who you know was powerful and amoral and vengeful and very fancy. Um, <laughs> what did you enjoy most about playing a character like her? Oh, you know, it, I I would reflect on certain moments, certain scenes, and I I remember possibly my very favorite moment on set, which had no dialogue. It was just this mm. this uh, end of a scene before I go back through the Stargate and um, uh, was it not. Fair game. Anyway, um, I'm I'm leaving. O'Neill is allowing me to go, and I just felt so um, free because Peter Deloise, who was directing, literally came up and whispered in my ear, "Milk it," and it was super fun to just have that exchange where I'm looking right into RDA's eyes. And this whole scene is happening with no dialogue. And it doesn't take very long. It's just a brief moment. But it was so fun because it was tapping into all of those characteristics that you described. Yeah. The fact that she had the power and that she she was very naughty and she was all of these <laughs> things. And that kind of like a warning, a teasing, a goodbye, uh, I win, all of these things uh, just kind of ran through me. And then I, then I leave through the Stargate. Yeah. So even though that might not be something that's, you know, super noticeable when you watch it as to experience, it was really cool, really fun to be in that giant setting. Yeah. You're, you're facing off with the lead of this massive iconic series on this incredible set with this gorgeous freaking Stargate. 
Yeah. And the director says, milk it. And yeah. that was really super fun. Peter DeLuise <laughs> of all directors, too. My gosh. Yeah. I mean, what a team you were able to work with. That's ex- I know. What would you say are some of the lessons that you learned then in your time in the in the Stargate sphere? Well, because the set was so incredible, that was just, you know, I mentioned the feeling on Adam McGoin's set. And to be honest, I'm going to say the Stargate sets were the ones that, that could kind of compete with that, that kind of just convivial, cool, relaxed energy where everybody had serious work to do. But everyone had so much confidence in each other. Yeah. And they'd been speaking the same language for long enough. And they were friends. And so and when you come in as a, a guest, you're just made to feel so good. And like, you know, everyone's just looking forward to spending a little time with you. It's really special. Really yeah. special. Um, I, unlike you, I grew up watching sci-fi. Um it, I think in a lot of ways it informs the work that I do right now um, mm-hmm. because I'm a fan. I'm a fan first. Uh, yeah. And it's one of the reasons that I'm so interested in peering behind the curtain. But, you know, sci-fi is like it's escapism. And I also kind of see it as being really relevant to what's going on in the real world as well. Like, what do you yeah. think? Like, how do you think sci-fi can help us? make sense of what's going on in the real world, you know? And I, I asked that question during a time when the real world's a little bit messed up. Yeah, it's a pretty, little bit, a little, a little bit, bit troubled. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I agree with you completely. I think, I think sci-fi explores all the options and generally speaking, it departs from what we can imagine the future becoming. Mm. So it's sort of like an exploration of the options and the wrong turns that can be taken or the possible um, exciting developments that might create a whole new way of living. And so when you're in a really kind of kooky, dark period, like our at least certainly North America, but generally globally, we're going through. Oh, it's pretty kooky and dark. It is pretty kooky and dark right now. Right. And so sci-fi is like... It's, I mean, is it even sci-fi anymore, honestly? Because we all have to look forward and say, you know, if, if things go in this direction, there's hope. If things go in that direction, there's just this bleak, you know, potential for disaster. Mm. And, and the actual art of creating sci-fi develops those ideas to pretty feasible outcomes. And any of them could possibly happen. Yeah. You know, and and the best sci-fi writers, of course, I mean, probably all of them, but the best you can actually see that possibility. And that's why some of the like the older sci-fi novels are so resonant now, because we've actually seen that they were they were prescient. Mm. You know, it's like they were it was like someone was writing in the diary, went back in the time machine and then published it back then. But it's current. Yeah. The yeah. Orwell and the David Eddings and exactly, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of traveling, uh, I did mention in my intro that you've been to quite a few Stargate conventions. Um, can you tell me about uh, the experience of attending conventions and 
what you learn from the fans who come? Mm, that's that's a great question. Well, I um, my first Stargate convention was was a very massive one mm. um, in Blackpool, England, and it was mm. super cool, super fun, very exciting. Um, I've told the story a bunch of times about I was the surprise guest, so mm. I was actually put in a sarcophagus and. <laughs> Put, pushed that. through a, a full-size Stargate that had all the light and effects, and then the stone lid pulled back, and then two Jaffa helped me out, and and I was surprised. So it was really cool for me to have the fans. I want to enter me. rooms that way. Every <laughs> right? room I enter, that must be uh, like that's got to be your bare minimum to enter a convention <laughs> space, you know. Totally, we demand totally. that every time. Yeah, it was just <laughs> so cool, and it, and it was right when I'm gonna say, you know, Stargate was really so massive, and so the lineups were just insane, and it was I was so amazed at the devotion and the excitement, and you know. Over the years, so I, then I went through uh, some period of time when my kids were young and I wasn't going to conventions, and then I, I went back, and it was after Stargate was wrapped up. Yeah. And the, the fact that the love for the show was still so present in these fans, it just makes you realize what art can do mm-hmm. and how it can actually truly connect people. And some of these people would behave as if they were at a family reunion because they would reassemble with their crew at these conventions all over the world. And it might've been months since they'd seen each other, but they have this bond. Yeah, uh, It's just like absolutely inspiring to see. And, and then recently, well, not that recently, actually, it was a few years ago when I went to um, Australia and New Zealand and it's a very big family affair there. Yeah. Like, Big time, like all the cosplayers, they're bringing their little kids and everybody's in costume and it, it it's like a festival. Yeah. So it's not just like this serious lineup, you know, get a signature, get the photo. It's like a gigantic party and just amazing, amazing yeah. and fun and fun. And I actually, like I, I don't go to conventions constantly, but there are fans who kind of you know, will tweet me and, and I know exactly who they are. They're, I have strong memories of the people that I've connected with hmm. in these places all across the world. Yeah. The st- I will say Stargate fans are very special. I've, I, I've mm-hmm. had the opportunity to attend GateCon in Vancouver, to attend mm-hmm. Amanda's convention in England. Oh, um, and because of the, you know, because of the nature of covering the Vancouver film and television industry, I featured quite a few different people who have been on Stargate in on the podcast over the last couple of years, and I, I find like they're a very special fandom. You know, mm-hmm. they're v- very, um, very smart and very supportive, um, and they they love Stargate. Like they they still it's. I mean, yes, there's the family that they've built around Stargate, but there's still that passion for the project itself. Um, why do you think? What what is it about Stargate that you know has made it so popular? You know, I mean, it's been quite a few years since know. you know the final series of it wrapped up, and I know that there's talk of bringing it back in you know n- new different forms. But what like why do you think the series remains popular even now? 
I, I kind of think it was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you know, the, it was the original movie was great. And then to manage to do a pilot that so beautifully interprets that material mm. and then develops and develops characters in such a way that the voices of you know, the creators like Brad and Jonathan, I mean, these are funny, smart people. Yeah. And, and they hired people who were funny and smart. And so they, it wasn't, you know, super, um, self-reflexive and, and serious. It was fun, like mm. as dangerous as it got. And as high as the stakes were, the characters are so well-defined yeah. and so fully rounded. And the fact that they're the sense of humor is never absent. I think that really made it unique. Yeah. Um, I mean, Nerdy's kind of a bad lady. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, there's that laugh. I love it. But like, yeah. is it like for you as an actor, would you prefer to play like a, a hero type? Like, you know, like a Sam Carter type or to play you know, the, the near to, um, you know, the villain, the bad lady. Well, I, both are fun. I, there was this weird, not weird, uh, just sort of a interesting show that was in Toronto many, many years ago. And it was based on real cop stories and it was called top cops. And I did a ton of those episodes and sometimes I would be the cop and sometimes I would be the bad guy. Oh. And they were both fun because sometimes as the cop, I was undercover as the heroin addict or the this or the that or the dealer. And sometimes, you know, as the as the bad guy, I was like actually quite dangerous and having to lie and, and survive. Or, you know, so there's really fun, cool stuff to do on both sides. Essentially, it depends on how great if if I'm going to be the hero how great have they written this female hero because mm. sometimes that's kind of clunky and and um you know kind of I don't know a little bit too gendered um but yeah. when you've got a really great leading character like Amanda played that's amazing that is absolutely amazing but on the regular I'm going to say the bad guys are are fun yeah for sure and they get Bad guys get better costumes. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, this is probably the most serious thing we're going to talk about today. So get ready. Yeah. Okay, Jacqueline, tell yes. me about your cats. Oh, my cats. Yeah. I love them so much. <laughs> no, okay, we, so I, I asked that with a lot of, um, of uh, resonance um, and reverence because I... I know that we both got our pairs of cats at the Vancouver Orphan Kitten Rescue Association, and we were such cat ladies, and yep. like we are owned by our cats. So, what are they called? Who are? What are their names? Okay, so Ray is the big brother, and mm -hmm. he's a big gray dude, and Isis, named well before we were calling Isis Isis, she was right. named after Queen, a yes! queen. And she's a teeny little black kitty, very similar looking to one of yours, I think. Yeah, like Wade. A, yeah. yeah. We have yeah. Wade Wilson and Vanessa. Um, awesome. I love that you, uh, yes, Isis is like this ancient name, okay? Everybody, yeah. look it up. Read about <laughs> Isis. The, the original Isis. Um, yeah. yeah, and so I just, I do want to put it out there, uh, 
they don't sponsor us, although I kind of, I guess I sponsor them in some way, but Vokra is this awesome organization. They're no kill. They go out and they, they rescue, you know, uh, feral cats, orphan cats, you know, they, if people can't keep a cat anymore, they will surrender the cat to, you know, with no judgment to Vokra. And then Vokra just has a fostering system, which I would never be able to be a foster cat well, parent. I'd be a failure. Again. I'd be a failure. <laughs> totally. We we fostered. So we took the kittens from this feral mama that was uh, brought in and she had to be released back once she was fixed and everything because yeah. she just wasn't able to be uh, tamed. Yeah. But we took the four kittens and fostered them. And when we had to give up two of those kittens, it was kind of traumatic. And yeah. my kids cried for a long time. Yeah. And as recently, and the, I, I've had my cats for 10 years. And as recently as like last week, one of my kids asked where Star and Star and um, the other one, I'm, her name is escaping me right now, but you blocked it out because it's too traumatic. I, I get it's, it. I get seriously, it. Seriously, seriously. <laughs> and they still ask about them and like, where did they go? Where, who's got them? And I have a loving home, you know, Vokra's very good. And yeah. they care so much about where the cats go. And yeah. And it was, um, we went and, and got these fosters pretty shortly after uh, my cat died that I'd had for 15 years and yeah. I'd rescued from a parking lot at midnight in the pouring rain in Los Angeles. Whoa. This tiny kitten. It's so it dramatic. Very dramatic. You've really it's set seriously. the stage. So you're in a parking yeah. lot at midnight. It, it, you yeah. said the pouring I, rain? I imagine rain. Pouring. Pouring, pouring rain. You know, does, it barely ever rains in LA, but it can really, you know, go for it when it does. Yeah. So I picked my dad up at the airport He's in the car with me and I pull up. We're just going to pick up something at the corner store. And there's, you know, they've got the big metal grates. They lock the, the front of the store. And this teeny kitten comes out, steps out two feet. And I can see the little mouth crying at me. Yeah. Completely alone, drenched. And my dad looks at me and he says, no, Jackie, no. Please. <laughs> and I it's like, like well, slow dad, motion. You reach for the kitten. Yeah. I said, Dad, you know, I don't have a lot of time to take care for a kitten, but I have much more time to take care for a kitten than I do to regret not taking care of this kitten. Ugh. So I picked up the kitten and I wrapped him up like a little burrito in a newspaper <laughs> and brought him home, cut a box up, made him a little den put him in there to sleep for the night. And when I woke up in the morning, he was sleeping on the end of my bed. <laughs> he was Aww. so cute. He'd somehow gotten up there. And he was covered in fleas. But he was the best <laughs> cat ever. Yeah. I loved him so much. He spoke English. He was like a dog. He'd meet me at the door. He played fetch. And so when he passed, it was just like, it was such a big thing. And it, yeah. it was actually a factor in my being attracted to my husband. The first time he came to pick me up at my house... Bodie was there, met him at the door. Bodie. Oh, you're Rob good at naming me, cats. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The first thing Rob said to me is cats rule. And I was like, okay, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now we've been married for 15 years. So. <laughs> okay. And I, I love that story. Um, so people get dating advice from that story as well. I will put a link to Vancouver Orphan Kitten Rescue Association in the fit notes uh, because they do great work. And like a lot of charities right now where whose events have been canceled, they're they're under a lot of strain and it's kitten season. So if you have a few dollars to donate, uh, that would be great. Okay. 
Jacqueline Samudi, you ready to play some favorite things? Okay, all right. So these questions have been developed by um, one of the most cutthroat Uh, investigative journalist I know, my nine-year-old daughter, Mariana. Um, And she feels that these are, offer some real insight into my guest's character and personality. And so the key is to answer from your gut. Okay. Don't think too long about it. Okay. You ready? Okay. I hope I don't choke. All right, let's do it. But if you do choke, then that's revealing in and of itself. Okay. What is your favorite song? My favorite song. Um, oh God, that's hilarious because my my Achilles heel is that I never remember song titles. Um, oh my God. Oh, this is terrible. I love that it's tripping you up. It's the first question. I know it's the first question. But it's a song title, and I should have said as long as it's not a song title because I literally I've cried. I've cried at those games where you have to sing and people say they sing they say the song title, and then you um, it's Roberta Flack. I okay, it's Roberta Flack. It's, oh, I feel like I'm on a timer, like at a game show. Okay, I love um, Roberta Flack. Um, yes. Is it Killing so, Me Softly? Killing Me Softly. And also... That's my, my that's my karaoke song. Is it? Yeah. Awesome. Strumming do- my pain with his fingers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I also love the first time ever I saw your face. And, and there's a version of that that my husband sent me. Um, while I was driving in the hot sun and this was playing and I was crying and he, and he was on the other end of the phone and he was crying and it was just so good. Oh, okay. You, you pulled the song titles out in the end. That's good. Okay. (sighs) What is your favorite way to spend a lazy Sunday in Vancouver? Oh, well right now lying on my new outdoor furniture which we just splurged on because we're not going to other patios because I I'm a patio person I love like if I could go out for brunch on a patio that would be my ideal thing and I guess we can start doing that now but uh, you mean in restaurants patios mm -hmm. yeah I I went out recently with Nicole Oliver and Amanda Tapping to a patio for brunch uh, and it is it was jarring it's beautiful. Really? You know, all the waiters are in their face shields. There's massive spaces between the tables. Um, it's a limited menu. It's okay. a little weird. It's a little weird. A little but weird. I mean, the company yeah. and the view made up for it. But mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Okay. Favorite junk food? Favorite junk food? French fries. Okay. Uh, this is not one of Mario's official questions, but what is your favorite condiment for the French fries? Oh, I, I just, I go for ketchup, but I do oh, yeah. occasionally get naughty and do the mayonnaise. Yes. I mean, <laughs> naughty, it's delicious. Oh, you know what's so good is cur- curry mayonnaise. I don't know if you've had that. That is I have not. the bomb. Yes. Oh my God, I'm going to try it because I've gotten into making homemade French fries, of course, because, you know, Fancy. why not? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to do that. that yeah. sounds amazing. Okay. Uh, favorite superhero? Favorite, su- well, Captain Marvel. Oh, good answer. Favorite supervillain? Favorite supervillain? Um, gosh. <laughs> I guess, I guess the penguin. <laughs> I guess the, the penguin That's such an obscure answer. Oh, Why the penguin? I don't, the pe- well, because I remember the penguin from childhood as being very scary. 
So really? it's still in there somewhere. It just popped out. You said, say the first thing. Yeah. No. And that's okay. Very I'm revealing. Flirt. Okay. I what feel we like le- I'm learning about myself. You are. The, <laughs> yeah. I told you a crack team put these questions together. What was your favorite TV series when you were nine years old? When I was nine years old, the Brady Bunch. Favorite- I'm pretty old. <laughs> Stop. What was your favorite movie when you were nine years old? movie you know we didn't really watch movies when I was little like not until I got into high school and then um you know uh the what's the what the it's a title again so the time warp you know (laughs) the rocky horror picture show rocky horror picture there you go (laughs) I love that you do have a block against against titles of things oh it's Um, crazy Favorite hot beverage? Right now, I'm drinking a vanilla rooibos with a little bit of almond milk. And although I will have one cup of coffee in the morning because I have a bit of a sleep thing, I tend to go non-caffeine for the rest of the day. So I'm absolutely loving this. It's a couple of cups of this every day for sure. Oh, we'll have to go back to Neverland. We, when I interviewed Jacqueline before, we went to Neverland Tea. We got to go back there. They have so many Love teas. It. Yeah, such a beautiful place, hey? Yeah, oh, it's so well. And and we will we can mention this at the end. Although I don't know, Terry might be listening. But one of the owners of Neverland was someone who Jacqueline Samuda taught a screenwriting to, and that's Academy Award nominated screenwriter Terry Tatchell, and she co-owns Neverland. So yes, oh. love her. One of our love first sponsors her. for the podcast as well. Okay, really? favorite oh, she's amazing favorite vacation destination Jamaica. Uh, my dad was born in Jamaica, oh. and I recently went back for a celebration of life for my aunt. And a couple of years before that, we had gone for a celebration of life for my dad. Yeah. And it's uh, a, a very magical country to me because, of course, you know, you're, you're staying down there in luxury. But, of course, there's a lot of poverty. Yeah. And then when you go to um, – my cousin is in the government down there, and he's a um, – an important guy. So, you know, he's got security and he's got hmm. influence and so on. And so he, he had to go in and say, you know, clean up this, clean up this graveyard. And we went to this graveyard that had been there since the 1600s. Oh. And when we did the nine night celebration for my dad, uh, we were at this very famous artist's restaurant. He has like a kind of a gallery and a restaurant on the water and outside is the pier that Christopher Columbus docked on when Whoa. he discovered the Caribbean. Quote, and unquote, so discovered. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> landed, let's just say landed, right? And so there's that kind of magic where, the, you know how when, when you see the, the funeral proces- processions of, of New Orleans and these great musicians mm. are there and it, it's got this kind of joy and the music is fun and, you know, and we, and we had this fabulous procession through this graveyard that was kind of derelict but gorgeous at the yeah. same time with with headstones and, and just all these beautiful, incredible, ancient monuments to the people who were resting there. Yeah. And then you you break out the rum and you all have a shot of rum and you pour one on the on the grave and yeah, you know, and then you go and eat. And it's just so the fact that it's in my blood and it was a part of my my 
very strong part of my dad. I mean, he was a white Jamaican, but his, as an academic, his field was multiculturalism. Hmm. And so a lot of the way I grew up is very present, top of mind now with everything that we're going through with Black Lives Matter. And, you know, he was somebody who wrote IQ tests, but also wrote uh, books and essays on the inequities and the way IQ tests are skewed towards the upper middle class white people. And so you're never going to get a proper intelligence quotient if if, if, it's if you're writing if you have to answer questions about place setting and you're from a family that doesn't have place settings yeah. right as yes. an example yeah yeah so wow oh I did not know that was your dad's area of study. That's fascinating. I got to say, too, um, I have not been to Jamaica, but the school that I went to in uh, in York Region, the high school, had a had a huge population of, of with parents from the Caribbean. And so I had a lot of Jamaican food. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. So flavorful. So filling. What is your favorite? Okay, this is not one of the questions. What is your favorite thing to eat when you're in Jamaica? Oh, I'm assuming to drink Jamaica? is rum. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I love the rum. Um, I would say, I guess the classic jerk chicken. And, you know, mm. if you're in Montego Bay, you go to Scotchies and, and, you know, if you're staying in a resort, which is where you stay generally, if you're a visitor, yeah. um, you get your driver, you go to Scotchies and you have this incredible cultural experience where they're just they're cooking this stuff on these long sticks i don't know what the tree is but that actually helps to impart the flavor mm. everybody's lined up the it, the energy is incredible the smells are it, just intoxicating it's you know it's it's such an important little cultural place this particular restaurant Scotchies. that and and Escobich, uh, the fish is incredible too very mm. it's just the whole fish and it's got a vinegary thing going on super unique and i'd love to i'd love to learn how to make it I, yeah. it's one of those that i really would like to try to make if you need a taste tester i'm available okay um, we're recording around lunchtime and so uh, i think that's <laughs> kind of okay this is my daughter's last question okay uh okay what is your favorite animal cats. <laughs> That's my daughter's my- only acceptable answer. So yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Thanks, Mari. Good yeah. questions. <laughs> good questions. All right. And I guess um, the final question that I want to ask you um, is about advice. Um, you know, I know that you are a, a teacher and that you encounter, you know, people who want to do what it is that you do, be it storytelling or acting, you know, so what is your, your favorite piece of advice to give emerging artists? Well, in the present moment, I would say that investing to whatever degree you can in your home setup would be a great thing to do because you don't want to be caught short because right now, if you're just getting started and you finally get that audition you've been waiting for, you're going to be doing it by self tape. And if you're suddenly looking for that sheet to hang up as your backdrop or so on, it's better to be ahead of the game and, and assume that you will get that audition. You will get that voiceover audition. So what are you going to do? Because otherwise you're going to be facing options. You can have a very expensive setup or you can have a very minimal but effective setup, but you have to kind of know in advance and not be surprised when you've got that energy. Like I, 
I realized, okay, I'm going to be doing a lot more self-tapes. And, and I painted my new office white because I wasn't sure what feature wall color I wanted. Mm. And then I thought, well, I've got a week. This was two weeks ago. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And so I chose this kind of warm gray and I painted this wall. And lo and behold, the next day I was told I had like 12 hours to do a self-tape audition. <gasps> so my wall was ready. So that was awesome. And, you know, and I've got my ring light, I've got my phone thing, but there's, there's just, there's very minimal ways that aren't super expensive, but you, you have to be thoughtful and yeah. you have to be ready in advance. So it's like, don't wait. And then you can use your setup to, to explore and do some work at home because right now it's, it's challenging. You know, I know, I know there's some wonderful online classes with some of our local important teachers, you know, like yeah. John Cassini and Ben Ratner. And so those are available too. So everything that you can do to stay sharp, because get ready, people, Vancouver is going to be busier than, than we originally were thinking this summer, because they're not going to be hiring as many American actors to come up. Yeah. So the leads can come up in quarantine, but some of those smaller, you know, but still substantial roles, we're still going to L.A. people for some of the big shows up here. Yeah. And now we have to assume, I mean, the word is, and we also should expect that there's going to be some more roles available that are going to be very, very exciting. And hmm. so I'm, I'm really getting, getting myself together. Like I'm about to do this very long audio book. And so I'm changing my, my voiceover, my home voiceover studio to accommodate that. Because I don't want it to get too hot, and I, it's going to be like maybe six hours of reading straight kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm trying to get all my ducks in a row in advance so that I can feel relaxed and confident. Because any creative person knows your your energy is an important part of your work, and to be relaxed, you've got just access to more of that energy. Yeah. I love your energy, Jacqueline. Oh. Thank you so, so, and I will say the first time, I should have put this in the intro, the first time that I met Jacqueline was in the ladies room at the Leo Awards, and you're so, you always look so beautiful, uh, but like, you know, gorgeous, like hair, makeup, and like a gown, like this is, was no little black dress, this was a gown, I'm like, but yeah, and I was intimidated also because I knew Nirti, uh, but Aww. I just, I love your energy and I look forward to sharing actual physical space with you again, hopefully at Neverland, hopefully in my studio. Um, mm. Where can our listeners find you and follow you on the social media? Ah, yes. Well, on Twitter, I'm at jsamuda, all lowercase, and on Instagram, which I've just kind of gotten active on, that is jesamuda, all okay. lowercase, and yeah, I guess that's that's it. And yeah, I'd love to get uh, some more followers. I want to get more, um, just kind of more into creating content. And one of the things I'm going to try and post on Twitter and Instagram as soon as I find it is a picture of us in the ladies' room at the Leo Awards. Ah! Because there is an awesome photo of you and me and two other actresses, and I'm going to find that. It'll oh, be fun to post. Who was that? Sarah Deacons? Yes. Sarah's photo? Oh my god. Yeah. I miss the I miss the Leos. I I mean, I'm I so know. happy everybody's staying home and being safe. But yeah. man, when when our community comes together and we all hang out in the bathroom, that's the <laughs> best. <laughs> 
All right. I will look for that photo or you can send it to me and I'll put that in the show notes as well. And thank you. And thank Thank you you to our listeners for joining us today. You can find more than 90, that's nine zero additional episodes of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast on on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can keep in touch with us on social media at YVR Screen Scene and by email at Sabrina at YVR screenscene.com thanks for listening i appreciate you all very very much hiring professional performers makes all the difference to the success of any recorded media project did you know that the union of bc performers actra provides agreements for all budgets and types of productions including commercials tv series and movies feature films from big budget to canadian indies and student films animation series video games web series, and even streaming video on demand, like Netflix? For instance, our highly successful UBCP Actra Ultra Low Budget Agreement encourages and facilitates artistic collaboration between professional performers and independent producers who wish to produce very low budget or even no budget productions. No matter what your budget, we've got you covered, and you too can benefit from UBCP Actra's award-winning world-class performers. So, if you need actors, voiceover artists, stunt coordinators, stunt performers, singers, dancers, puppeteers, stand-ins, background performers, ranging across any age or demographic, then just contact us at UBCP Actra. Make your project the very best that it can be. This message was read by a UBCP Actra member. Go to ubcp.com for more information.